Hello and welcome to this QAA podcast on academic integrity. Joining me today is Professor Michael Draper, Deputy Pro Vice-Chancellor Education from Swansea University. Michael, how are you? Very well, thank you very much, Si. Great to be here. Brilliant, thanks for joining us. So, academic integrity has been one of QAA's key pieces of work for a few years now. And today we're going to talk about the legislation that came in earlier in 2022, which hopefully will have a major role in helping to uphold academic integrity. Now, it's a broad term, basically meaning a commitment to fundamental values like honesty, trust and fairness in all areas of academic activity, including the assessment of students. It's a complex, multifaceted and global challenge. And one of the biggest aspects is contract cheating, where students commission assessments from third parties and submit them as their own. We've played a key role domestically in supporting the UK sector, but also internationally in trying to link up with countries who are struggling with the same issues. We run events and webinars to raise awareness in some of the main areas. We've published guidance for providers and resources for students, campaigned to remove adverts from platforms like YouTube, and established a steering group drawn from experts in the sector. A number of studies have taken place over the last few years, some of which have looked at student attitudes to cheating in this way. One of those suggested that as many as one in seven students have bought or commissioned work from a third party. Now, Michael has been a leading figure in academic integrity for some time and is a member of our academic integrity advisory group. He played an important role in getting us to the Skills and Post-16 Education Act 2022. It created a number of new functions and powers for the Secretary of State, Ofqual, and the Institute for Apprenticeships and Technical Education. But crucially, alongside those provisions was a new offence for individuals and organisations to provide or arrange for someone else to provide commercial contract cheating services for students. Now, Michael, you were involved in the drafting of this legislation. Would you like to explain a little bit about your role in the process? Yes, no, thank you, Si. Um, I think it's best to start with the work that the Academic Integrity Advisory Group undertook in relation to this area. So uh, over a period of time, roughly between 2017 and 2022, there were a series of publications, some of which produced by the QEA, some of which was published as individual research. But I think the most important piece came just before the legislation was enacted, in which the QAA, uh, with, with my assistance, helped produce a briefing note as to why legislation was actually needed. And that was a succinct summary. It's available on the QAA website, setting out the rationale for legislation. And that very importantly, we made it clear that whilst we viewed legislation as important, clearly, uh, we didn't see it as a silver bullet, as a, as a panacea. And it's not. We need basically an approach which includes um, criminal offences, but also awareness raising, training, uh, skills development, confidence building measures, et cetera, uh, with students. So that rationale is very clearly set out in the legislation. We were fortunate to work with a number of key parliamentarians, including, I have to say, Lord Mike Storey, who's the Liberal Democrat uh, spokesperson uh, for education in the House of Lords, who on two occasions tried to produce a private member's bill into Parliament based on the work that myself and Bill Newton had undertaken since 2017. Uh, and then that was taken over through negotiation between uh, 
Mike Story, myself, and uh, Chris Skidmore, who is a former education minister uh, in the um, government, who championed the uh, enactment of uh, the offences, uh, brought together a range of subject matter experts, including myself and student representatives, and uh, we basically met with the then Education Minister, Minister Michelle Donnellan, who saw the importance of uh, the legislation and agreed to take this forward as part of government business. And that, of course, guaranteed, given the majority of the government in the Houses of Parliament, that we would actually get the legislation through. That's great. Thank you. That's really helpful background. And I think it's also worth saying before um, we explore exactly what the new legal position is, is that it's not commonplace internationally, is it, to have legislation in this area? No, that's that's correct. Um, I'm a consultant expert with the Etihad platform of the Council of Europe, who themselves have just introduced a treaty across member states uh, in July of this year. Uh, basically a recommendation on countering education fraud. As part of that work, and I helped to draft that recommendation as well, as part of that work and continuing work in this area over the next five years, we've agreed to basically a system of monitoring as to what is going on within individual member states. And from the questionnaire, the baseline questionnaire we've just circulated to member states, it's clear that there are only three countries within the Council of Europe, which there are 44 member states, we're not dealing with the EU here, we're dealing with the wider Council of Europe. The then Republic of Ireland, uh, England and uh, Montenegro have specific legislation relating to uh, criminal offences uh, on, on commercial contract duty. Great, thank you. So, essentially, what is the new legal position in England now? Well, there are two key offences that were brought in by the 2020 Act that you referenced, Cy. Uh, one of them relating to um, the ban on commercial contract cheating. Now, just to make that clear, you referenced earlier on what contract cheating was, which is where there's an agreement with a third party to supply in whole or in part uh, an assignment that could be submitted as part of the student's own work. The important part of this offence is that to be guilty of a criminal offence, that has to take place within a commercial setting. So that means, of course, that friends and family uh, and other uh, students who might help with uh, a student's assignments won't be caught by this particular offence. It is targeting what we would normally describe as essay mills. Those companies or organisations based in the UK or otherwise, which will sell an essay, either in whole or part, to a student uh, and then hide behind their terms and conditions as to uh, the use of that essay by the student, i.e. it mustn't be submitted. This is what their terms and conditions say. But the, the beauty of the legislation is that it is a strict liability offence. And we were very clear uh, with um, the government that we needed this because essay mills would hide behind their terms and conditions of supply, which basically say that the intellectual property and work remains with us, you can't submit it as your own work, um, you, you must you must not actually use this in any other way other than as a reference material to your own personal study. But of course, with all the media attention over the last few years in this area, it's clear that these companies and organisations know that students are submitting uh, this as their own work. And it seems to us uh, a reasonable position to take that these companies could not hide behind these terms and conditions uh, to basically absolve themselves from liability. There is other legislation 
they could have been caught uh, by which the fraud act 2006 but that's a, a technically difficult position to take particularly when you're looking for evidence of dishonesty the beauty of this offense is we don't have to have evidence of dishonesty we don't have to have evidence of intentional knowledge there simply has to be a supply of an essay uh, through a commercial game and the offense is committed the other offense of course relates to advertising which is in section 28 of the uh, legislation now this again is a strict liability offense all that is required is that there is an advert by somebody who supplies uh, pursuant to commercial contract achieving service so just to be clear here it's not the internet service provider or social media platform that commits the offense by hosting the advert it is the supplier of the advert themselves who commits a criminal offense but the beauty of this particular piece of legislation is it allows the QA or indeed uh, a member of the government or anybody to go to an internet service provider or social media platform and say, look, you're carrying this advert from this supplier. This supplier is now committing a criminal offence. Please take down uh, the advert. Now, these ISPs and platforms will have policies in which they publicly state they will not be party to the commission of a criminal offence or allow that to occur on those platforms and so by virtue of their policies they will take down these adverts i think that's a really important distinction isn't it there it's um it's the unlawful activities under the uh, terms of usage for these uh, for these platforms that previously uh, we were relying on their goodwill to take them down because they weren't uh, weren't unlawful but this gives us uh, that extra that extra leverage. Sorry, Sorry that's, that's absolutely, absolutely correct. correct. Well, I think the other important point to note is, is that by making these offences ones of strict liability, we've added in a due diligence uh, um, defence. So, so it's, it's not, not up to the prosecution to prove the intent or knowledge, as I said. They simply have to show that there's been a sale of an essay. They simply have to show that there's an advert. And then if, if the, the organisation organization or company wants, wants to avoid a criminal offence, they they have to pay for that defence to establish that they undertook due diligence in selling or in, uh, advertising, so that um, they were reasonably secure that this was not being advert in relation to commercial contract review service, or they would be reasonably secure in knowing that the student would not submit this into their own work. But terms, terms and conditions will not provide a defence, and that's, that's absolutely crystal clear. That's great, thank you. Um, you just mentioned prosecution as well. I think it might just be worth clarifying to people who's going to be investigating uh, offences under the new law and bringing those prosecutions. Yes, I, I, it's a good question. I think we need to draw a distinction here between the Republic of Ireland and also Australia, where there's equally strict liability uh, legislation. In those jurisdictions, uh, it is the QQI in Ireland and TEXA with the regulators in Australia who bring the prosecution. And they are the nominated uh, authority under the relevant provisions. However, in England, under the 2022 Act, uh, there is no such nominated prosecuting uh, authority. So it is very much down to uh, the police uh, to actually bring the prosecution because these are summary only offences the penalty is a fine so therefore will be prosecuted within a magistrate's court uh, normally speaking and it is the police who uh, should investigate and then bring that prosecution uh, at the relevant magistrate's court 
Where should that take place? To whom should you notify? Um, well, if you're, for example, Gloucester University, uh, you would notify the, the police service uh, for Gloucestershire that the HQ that an offence uh, has been committed, so far as you are aware, to the best of your knowledge. And then it is down to, to the to police to actually undertake the investigation uh, and indeed the prosecution. Now, of course, they will need evidence to do that. So I think the next question is where does that evidence come from? Well, whether or not there's an advert is simply a question of fact. If you have a screenshot of an advert, there you have your evidence. And that's relatively straightforward. However, in terms of commissioning, there needs to be evidence of the sale of an essay to a student. Now, a student is not obliged uh, to actually give evidence in a criminal prosecution. Nobody is obliged under the law as it currently stands, unless it's a specific offence related to money laundering or the specific legislation relating to something uh, of, uh, of a fraudulent nature to actually give evidence in that prosecution. So you can't force a student to give evidence. They have to volunteer that. And that may well be a delicate conversation between the students uh, and uh, yourself as an institution and the police as to whether or not they're willing to give evidence that they indeed did buy an essay from a particular source. Because without knowing the particular source, the particular organisation or company that sold the essay, there's no need to prosecute. I think that um, those additional um, potential responsibilities on institutions leads me into uh, leads me to ask another question. Um, I mean, is there anything else that institutions need to be doing in order to comply with the Act or in order to help its implementation? Yeah, again, a, another very good question. I think um, one of the things we've always advocated for, um, one of the benefits of legislation, is that it changes the conversation you can have with your students. So you can be very clear with students that if they do buy uh, from uh, an essay mill or other uh, commercial contract cheating service, then in effect, they are buying from a criminal entity. Now, previously, you couldn't say that because of all the difficulties around the interpretation of the Fraud Act 2006, etc., you couldn't say that what was actually happening was illegal. But now you can. What is actually happening is illegal. And you, by buying that essay, are actually um, supporting that criminal activity. But just to be very clear here, you do not yourself commit a criminal offence as a student by buying, because you are specifically exempting in the Act from aiding and abetting. So I think that's particularly important that students can be reassured about. You are not committing a criminal offence, but you are buying from an entity which is committing a criminal offence, and therefore your social conscience uh, ought to be affected by that, particularly when they understand that also, with a lot of these essays, are generated by exploitation in, in, in other countries. Uh, people who are underemployed, highly educated, can't get jobs, paying pittance to produce these essays. Furthermore, I think students need to understand that some of these unscrupulous organisations and companies have actually blackmailed students who have bought from them. And so uh, it may well be, and I've seen this personally, that students who unfortunately do buy an essay uh, and uh, then subsequently find out that they are being asked for further money uh, to be given to the organisation on threat of 
uh, telling the institution that that essay is actually being bought. And will that go away? No, that will follow you into employment as well. Once they have you, they don't let you go. Once they have a source of income, they will uh, ask you to continue to buy from them at various points in time, or indeed just be blatant about hand over more money. Unless we, unless you do that, we will tell um, your institution. That's the student perspective. That's an awareness raising piece your students, I think, that institutions need to undertake. And the other thing I think institutions need to do is to look at their regulations and policies in this area so that where there has been found to be commissioning as part of an academic misconduct hearing and there's evidence uh, as to where that uh, commissioning uh, has been sourced, you know the source, then there should be regulations that allow you then to pass that information on um, to the police without the, the student's consent, for example. Now, given that this is evidence in a criminal prosecution, that should normally be uh, permissible anyway, because universities obviously uh, have a moral, if not a uh, legal duty, uh, to pass on information, given the nature of institutional profiles of a charity, for example, uh, or uh, the civic mission that universities have. But best, obviously, to make it clear within regulations and policies that this is what you will be. And I think another conversation you might want to have within your institution is uh, perhaps introduce some form of plea bargaining. They don't want to call it plea bargaining, but if a student is willing to actually support a prosecution and uh, and, and give evidence, should that lead, lead perhaps as part of restorative justice a lower penalty to for the students under the accurate misconduct processes and proceedings your institution has? That's the conversation I think people uh, need to have. Um, and this is also obviously just drawing a, an analogy with what happens in magistrate's courts, of course. If you go before a magistrate's court uh, with basically an offence uh, to be prosecuted, if you plead guilty in advance or indeed on the day of the hearing, there's normally a tariff reduction for uh, the punishment you can expect from the magistrate, which is given by statute. Uh, perhaps something similar needs to be adopted within institutions to help ease through the process of the academic misconduct um, uh, process that the institution has, uh, and perhaps save time as well. So some suggestions. I think they're really helpful suggestions there. Thank you, Michael. There's, there's, a, there's, a, couple of, um, um, there's a couple of points in there I'd like to explore a little further. You, you talked about student awareness, and I think that's always been one of our... Um, uh, one of the areas we've uh, we've really stressed is important. What else can institutions do to make students aware about this legislation, uh, and at the same at the same time support them to better understand academic integrity? Right, I, I think a useful way of doing this is to use the QAA's Academic Integrity Charter, which has been adopted now by most institutions within the United Kingdom. That charter recognises that institutions are autonomous. Uh, clearly, uh, they are, but recommends a staff-student approach, collaborative approach, to, in effect, the promotion of academic integrity. So I think you have to look at the uh, your, your programmes of study, for example. The students transition to institutions from school where we do know that these academic misconduct occurring within schools and cheating behaviours being developed, that when they transition to universities, a period of induction, 
as to what is required by way of academic conduct or academic integrity uh, from the students. So they understand basically what assessments are, what the purposes of assessment are, the assessment criteria, and build those skills to allow the student to confidently attain their best grades possible in those uh, assessments. Now, yes, that's the process of induction into, uh, and transition to the institution. That needs to be done, but that needs to be reinforced at appropriate times in the assessment uh, processes within the academic year. So it needs to be reinforced in December or in January, just before your assessments, midterm assessments, and before your May June assessments as well. So that there's that clear message to students as to what is expected by way of academic conduct, by academic integrity, clear referencing to assessment criteria, what is appropriate, and also make them aware of the various tools that we may come across, I think, outside of the institution, paraphrasing tools, for example, grammar checks, anything that isn't supported by the institution that students use to check grammar or to check uh, for plagiarism, sometimes called plagiarism checkers, but they're not plagiarism checkers, of course, text matching software, if it's not supported by the institution, you're basically giving away your work for free because you don't know where your work is going to end up by submitting it to these external uh, providers. And um, a very good analogy is that uh, you may, when you uh, sell your house, get a free appraisal from an estate agent, but do you really expect them to give free use of that house to the estate agents as part of that free appraisal? No, you don't. But that's what you're doing when you give away your work in effect to uh, these free checking services, that uh, they will end up with your work and can do it as they will. What's important is reassurance of students. We know you are being bombarded on a daily, if not uh, a weekly basis, by adverts to use these services. And I've seen some recently very, very good, uh, uh, well-designed adverts with the the basically the logos of different institutions uh, on that advert suggesting of course that these services are endorsed by the particular institution they look very real and realistic so i think there needs to be awareness raising along the lines of look you're not being singled out everybody's getting these adverts when you do get the, the advert please go and speak to your personal tutor or, or your academic mentor have that conversation, reassure yourself that you've done nothing wrong and that this is normal behaviour from those that are trying to push these services. So those courageous conversations with students as part of person tutoring and academic mentoring up on these very important. Thank you, Michael. That's really helpful. There's some really good insights that I hope are helpful for our audience. So we've basically created uh, a briefing note uh, for QAA members which explains um, some of the uh, things we've been through today, which I hope will be useful for staff as well as students as they're tailoring their approaches in this area. Just by way of closing remarks, as a sector, where do you think we should go next and what should we be doing next? I, I, I would like to see, having adopted the Academic Integrity Charter, that uh, there is implementation with institutions um, and the review of processes and procedures of institutions based on that charter. Now, that, that it will include, obviously, uh, staff training, uh, student training, looking at your regulations, looking at your policies, that you have a, a joined-up approach around that. 
perhaps reconsider penalties. The QA have done some work in relation to penalties. There's been a survey that's available on the QA website. There's broad consistency, I think, around the areas of outcomes for ethnic misconduct panels, but there's obviously some divergence. And increasingly, I think, uh, there's this idea of restorative justice uh, gaining traction. Nobody wants to see a student withdrawn from an institution or held back a year because they have to repeat a year or repeat a, a module. And it may well be that rather like when you uh, commit the offence of speeding, for example, you're given the option of a speed awareness course, that you give a similar option uh, to students in relation to, to training, uh, as well as perhaps some sort of lesser penalty um, or, or outcome. And indeed, uh, restorative justice suggests that uh, if a student then gets involved in campaigns that actually uh, support academic integrity within the institution, uh, will actually psychologically have an impact on students in terms of their confidence and self-worth. Because research does suggest that where students do commit academic misconduct, um, their consciousness get the better of them. They do feel bad. And of course, that affects their performance going forward uh, as well. So allowing students to redeem themselves, some sort of redemptive action uh, on their part, I think is particularly uh, important. That's brilliant. Thank you, Michael. Um, well, that just about draws us to a close. I'd just like to thank Michael again for joining us. I think that was a very useful and helpful run through of what is, in statutory terms, pretty brand new legislation. And I'm right in thinking at the time of recording, there haven't been any cases brought under this new legislation. But what I can say that we are doing, we've re recently released the third version of our contracting to cheat guidance, which does reference the new law. And members may also be interested to look at our new collaborative enhancement projects, uh, some of which are underway and are working in uh, this area. There are some, in particular, some really useful resources uh, for having conversations with students and indeed with staff in this area. Thank you once again for joining us and, uh, and goodbye.